0: My name is Stephen. so glad to be with you today. As some of you know that have been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in this journey called What If? And we have been just looking at what if we could win with money. Something that we all handle on a daily basis. Something that determines our decisions. It determines how we, where we go to lunch. It determines what clothes we buy. It determines where we go on vacation. It determines everything about what we do. And so what if we could feel a sense of security and satisfaction and could lower stress and anxiety around this idea of money. And then we We've had over 600 people go through this journey called Financial Peace University, and this is the last week. It, uh, uh, hold on. Yeah, that you can clap. That's funny, right? So, so I'm a little sad, if I'm honest, that this journey's over. There's been so many great stories to come out of it. I've led a table on Sunday evenings. It's been a great opportunity to get to know some different people and to lead, but also I think for all of us that have been through it, there may have been a point in the journey where we went somewhere and we said to ourselves, I hate Dave Ramsey right now. If you said that, you went to buy something, maybe it was a Christmas gift or something that you, an impulse buy or something, and you're like, I hate Dave Ramsey because now I can't buy this. I'm going to have to wait till I actually have the money to buy it. And trust me, you'll be glad and love him in January, but maybe you are a little disappointed, but it has been an incredible opportunity. And so as we kind of finish up in these next couple of weeks, I believe that if someone were able to come into your life over the next week and they were to go through all your finances, if they were to be able to go through it with a fine tooth comb, If they could look at your housing and how much you spend on mortgage or rent or electricity or gas if they could look at your second home down at Seaside in Florida, if they could look at your investments, your retirement accounts, your IRAs, 401ks, whatever you may have, if they could just look into your savings, if they could look at your budget and what you spend on cable and on going get your hair done and getting your nails done, Um, if they could look at how much you're spending and where you're sending your kids to school, if they could look at everything. I believe that there is one opportunity that is the greatest for all of us. I believe there's one opportunity that has the potential to give us the most satisfaction, the most security, the most involvement of God in our finances. And I believe that is in the area of our generosity. I believe that generosity is the greatest is our greatest financial opportunity. And hands down, no matter whether you're a student, or whether you're a grandparent, I believe that the opportunity for us to be generous is our greatest financial opportunity. Now, we started talking about this last week, that all of us want to be known as generous people. Like if if you had a friend to introduce you, that you would want them to introduce you is this is Stephen. He is so generous. Rather than this is Stephen. Stay away from him and watch your wallet. You don't want anybody to introduce you like that. You want someone to say you're a generous person because there's something about being generous that makes us feel good. Now, now here's what's um, what's interesting. The Stony Brook Medical Center did a kind of a long study on the effects of generosity on people physically. People who are generous, they are less prone, they have less risk of heart disease, they have less risk of dementia, they live longer. Because because when we're generous, it affects everything about us. People who are generous, do you know what, financially, they save more money. And I believe the reason why is because we're wired and created to be generous, that God wants us to be generous. He's created benefit for us to be generous. And so last week, we kind of took a selfless, a selfish look at being generous. Hey, what's in it for me? Like, why is this good for me? And we unpacked what it looked like. Now, Now, one thing about our generosity is I think we want to give where it can have the most impact. Don't you? Like, that's where I want to give. I want to give where it has the most impact. Now, I'm all for being generous everywhere you can. So, you know, Cub Scout shows up at my door and needs to sell whatever it is they're selling popcorn, and I need to buy some popcorn. I'm not sure that's changing the world, but I know it's going to help him, so I want to be generous. But, but man, when it comes to where my primary area of generosity is, where I focus, where I budget, where I'm intentional, I want to know if it's going to have some lasting impact. Nobody wants to just give their money away and think it's just going up in smoke. Like, like Here's an example of that. I think that some months, when I pay my cell phone bill, it's almost like a contribution to AT&T. And here's why, because there are some people on my plan that I pay for, that I'm giving money for, that when I text and call them, they're nowhere to be found. (laughs) Even though when I'm with them, they're always on their phone, it seems like I'm just giving a contribution to AT&T. And you know what I mean? We want to give where it's going to have the most impact. Hey, listen to this right here. The greatest thing you can give is to help somebody understand who Jesus is. As, as, as amen goes right there. The greatest opportunity we have is to give someone an understanding of who Jesus is. Case closed, end of sentence. Hands down, it is the greatest thing, the greatest gift that we can give. We believe as a people, as a community that exists to elevate the name of Jesus, we believe that we have been transferred from death to life. Come on. We believe that we have gone from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope, from no future to a bright future, that we have been transferred from spiritual poverty into spiritual riches. Some of you, Some of you came in here, and when you began going here, your marriage was a disaster. And you began to do the hard work, and God reached into the middle of your marriage, and they rescued it. Some of you came in, maybe you were addicted. And God reached into your life through his grace and his goodness, and he helped restore you back to wholeness. I mean, some of you have gone through difficult, tragic times, and God has stepped in and given you the strength to navigate the transitions that you've been through. You know, some of you have been through times where you didn't know which way was up and you needed wisdom, and God stepped in and he gave it to you. And don't you want other people to experience that? Like, don't you want people to experience the hope and what we talk about when we talk about the name of Jesus? Now, God has given this mission of helping people, of giving this gift. He's given it to the local church. It is the church's role to take the message of Jesus to the world. It's called the Great Commission. He created and commissioned the local church to be the standard bearer for life itself, for the purpose of life, for the most important thing that we can do. This is who the church is. It's why we exist. Listen, this, this mission was not given to Salvation Army. It wasn't given to the Red Cross. It wasn't given to your kids' Christian school. I mean, it wasn't given to the government. It was given to the local church. This is why we exist. And because it's so important, because it's so life altering, the local church should be the most well funded enterprise in history. Wouldn't you agree? Like the church to be the most well funded enterprise in history. And if we're honest, if we're honest, we know that historically it hasn't been. If we're honest, we know that the church many times isn't the most well-funded. Just from a general stereotype, what we, what we see throughout history is that, and you've heard this, it's the Pareto principle. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. You've heard this? 20% of the people give 80% of the money. So you four rows right here, you're awesome. The rest of you, not so much. Jokes, because some of these are students and they're not supposed to have money, right? But, but we know this, and we, we're not going to be that way. We're not a church that's going to operate that way. We, we want to be known as the most generous church around. We want to be known as a place that gets things done, that sees the movement go forward. And I believe this is what's best for you. Like, the reason why I would talk about this is because I believe this is what is best for you. I don't want you to be standing at the front door watching everybody else play outside on a sunny day while you are not included. And the way that you get there, the way that you participate, is by giving to your local church. I I, I can't make it any clearer. So many times when we talk about generosity, especially as a pastor, you have to be careful, right? Today, all bets are off. I'm not being careful. I want you to give to your local church. Now, you may be here just exploring faith, kind of figuring it out, just figuring it out. Understand you don't really have a local church. You're not really sure what that's about. I want you to be really clear on what what it would look like for you. I I want you to know what your opportunities would be if you began to follow Jesus and were involved in a local church. Now, some of you go to a local church, but not this one. Right? Some of you go to a local church, but not this one. Some of you used to go here, but after today, you're not. But some of you go to jokes to a local church, not this one. I want when you leave here, I want you to be the most generous person at your church. I want your pastor, or your leaders, or your friends to be changed because of your generosity. Because we're not, we believe in the in the expansion of all churches, not just our church. Like for students, I want when you go and you graduate and you get those really high-paying jobs. First of all, remember where you came from. Second of all. I I want whatever church you're involved in that you know that you should give to your local church. And if you go here, if this is your place, we believe that there is no better opportunity for you to have a financial future. No better opportunity for you to be generous, to have lasting impact. Now, I realize when you talk about giving to the local church, there's some skeptics. I could, I could ask you to raise your hand and you, you, you would raise it. You wouldn't even be embarrassed. You're skeptical because there's been a lot of abuse around this, right? There's been a lot of mismanagement. Let me just say this. No matter what the offering is over the next year, I am not buying an airplane. You got that? (laughs) You're welcome. No airplane. I, I, I I don't get commission. I don't get anything, right? This has nothing to do with me. Listen, it has everything to do with our church. Here's another thing I would tell you. It's not because we're in bad shape financially. Fortunately, this is God's providence for us, Stone Creek, that while we decided last spring, coming out of a new day, that we would move into this, this thing called what if, God has given us the best year financially that we've ever had. So I don't have to stand up here. I don't have to stand up here and say, hey, we, we need you to give. If, we, if I did, I would just be that honest with you. I would tell you where we were, but God in his graciousness, has given us an opportunity to talk about generosity, not not from a place of need. But here is a question I would ask you. What if we could do more? What if we could do more? What if there are people in your neighborhood and around the world that need the life-saving message that we're holding? And what if we could give it to them? What if we could help them understand the hope that they could have, the peace that they could enjoy? What if you could be a part of that? And so we're just going to unpack that for the rest of our time. Today. So let's go ahead, let's open up our Bible. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to continue a little bit um, from where we were last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we talked a lot about generosity. Now just to re- remind us of the context, Paul is the guy who wrote this in 2 Corinthians. You can find it on your app, but also grab a paperback. Paul is the guy who wrote this. Now, Paul was a serial church planter. He was an entrepreneur. And Paul had started quite a few churches in his day. And and one of the churches he started was the church at Corinth, hence the Corinthian church. And the church in Jerusalem is struggling. The church in Jerusalem was where it all started. The church in Jerusalem is kind of the mothership. And they're having significant financial problems. Part of it is because when they began to follow Jesus, all the other Jewish leaders ostracized them and they were excommunicated. So they had nothing. Nobody would do business with them. Nobody would help them. Nobody would give them anything. So they were isolated and they were living in poverty. So Paul goes to all the churches that he started and Paul takes up a, a contribution for them. And when he sends a letter ahead to tell them about the need, he says, hey guys, go ahead and take up the contribution before I get there. Like, I don't want to have to talk about it. I I want you to decide on your own. I want it to be a hard issue for you that you decide, you decide how you want to give. And he says, even in verse seven of chapter nine, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We know this. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get things wrong with God and sometimes I'm I get things wrong. I'm like, could you just make it a little more clear, Lord? But the truth is, he's given us a very clear directive and direction on how to, how to make him happy. He loves a cheerful giver, not under compulsion or reluctant. And he's not saying if you're reluctant, don't give. He's saying don't be reluctant. He said be generous. God loves a cheerful giver. And then he goes on and packs it some more in verse 10. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower, in other words... He provides everything that we need even to grow food. Bread for food, so physical needs, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So what we see here are two themes. One is physical need. Another is spiritual. One is physical need, bread. Another is spiritual righteousness. He goes on, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, physical needs, but also overflowing in thanksgiving to God, spiritual needs. And so we see these two, these two needs come together. And when we give and we got God's heartbeat, if we want to give around what God loves, what God cares about, there's three areas. Number one is people who live in physical poverty. People who are physically poor, people who physically don't have what they need to get by. They don't eat. They can't eat. They don't have clothes. They don't have homes. Like physical poverty. Also physically are the oppressed. So people who are held back. People who are held down by governments or other people. And then there's the spiritually Impoverished, the spiritually lost. As we read the Bible, these three areas are where God leans into. Let's talk a little bit to start out with about the physical part of that. Like God's heart is tied to people who are living in physical poverty. Paul talks about it when he talks about bread for food and all those things. And as we look throughout the Bible, what we see is at every turn, God provides for people physically. When his people moved out of slavery, they were oppressed. God releases them, moves them into the promised land. He wants to be sure the poor are taken care of because they have no no capacity to think through these things because they've been enslaved. Deuteronomy chapter 15, we see this, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, don't harden your heart or shut your hand against your brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. God was always taking care of the poor. pretty cool story is when people would move in and they would begin to uh, plow their fields and get their fields ready to uh, plant and to harvest, he would say, when you harvest, leave the corners of your fields unharvested so that the poor can come in and eat from them. God's always interested in the physical poverty that we experience. In Proverbs, we see this verse. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. He will repay him for his deed. Think through this just a minute. When you give money to the poor, when you give money to the poor, it's like you're lending it to the Lord. Because who's going to repay you? The Lord. That feels like God is co-signing when I'm generous, even though Dave Ramsey says not to. Because it's, it's, it's as if we sit across the table from God and God's like, hey, I need you to give this money to this, to this person who's in poverty. And I want you to give it and I'm going to repay you. I'm on the hook for this, and trust me, he's got enough to give it back. This is, God's heart is so tied to those who are in poverty that he looks at those who help those people is helping him himself. And as Christians, listen, we've been on the wrong side of history a lot of times. Let's be honest. As you read the history books, we have been on the wrong side of history. Sometimes we're on the right side and we still get criticized, and that's okay. But we are always on the right side when it comes to this historically. We are the ones who have changed the game. Not necessarily me standing here, but if you look at the Roman Empire and the Roman government, when these words were written and when the early church got started, charity, helping others, helping the poor, being selfless and generous, not on anybody's radar to the point where it was devastating. Quick story around that, just to help you understand. Around the year 200, there was a great plague that moved into the Roman uh, Empire, and over a third of the citizens died. So what what that would look like in the United States, think of 100 million people dying, 100 million. This is what it looked like, a third died. Nobody was there to help. It says that 5,000 bodies a day, were carted out of Rome with a horse pulling a wagon out of the out of the city. Five thousand a day, five thousand people a day. In two three days, our area would be we would be uh, there would be no people left here. Everybody fled. They didn't know what to do. Their gods couldn't provide a solution. Even the doctors left the cities because they didn't want to help. They were afraid of contracting what was called the plague. The plague. You know who stayed? you know who rescued people? Christians. Christians gave their money to feed people, they gave their time to help people, and they gave their lives to save people. This is the legacy that we have of Christians that give. As you look around our country, so many of our hospitals, they're named after some denomination. Like, How many of you were born in a Baptist hospital? few of you will admit it. Okay, Baptist Hospital. No, nah, Baptist Hospital. So, so my, my oldest was born in a Baptist hospital. My next two were born in a Methodist hospital. And my last one was born in a Presbyterian hospital. Now, they're very confused. However, because Christians, churches, they were the ones, man, we've done this well. We've done this well. And we need to continue to do that. Part of our call is to reach those who are spiritually impoverished. Now, on a practical level, we do this as a church. As on a practical level, there, there's, there's different ministries that we participate with, whether it's Hope for Guatemala or whether you sponsor a child from Compassion International or whether you bring a box for Operation Christmas Child. Um, there's other projects that we have, other partners that we have both here and locally, man, that we, that we, that we give to. But beyond that, man, we need, to, we need to be about this as people because God loves poor people. His heart is tied to them. How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents? How many of you are parents with maybe a college-age or above kid? So quite a few. I want you to think about this for a minute. Your kid moves off to college, and they go, and they're four or five hours away. And they call you one night, and their car is broken down the side of the road, and it's midnight. Now, the first thing, you're like, why are you out so late? But second thing, who can help? I can't get there. And then somebody comes along and helps your child on the side of the road. Now, if you're like me, you'll do anything for that person. If they helped your kid in the middle of need when you couldn't get there... You'll do anything to help. And this is the way God looks at it when we help those who are poor. Man, we're helping those he couldn't get to. We are the hands and feet of God. We can't help but be generous. Now, if we're honest, I think all of us have had this experience. When we see somebody who's, who's poor, maybe we're downtown Atlanta, and we see somebody who's dirty, broken down, homeless, and we look at him. and we're like, I wonder what you did. Like, I wonder what, wonder what bad decision you made. Have you ever done that? I wonder, why, why didn't your family take care of you? Like I wonder what you did that was so egregious that not even friends are here to help you. I think we all could repent of that. Because you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We shouldn't look at poverty as a nuisance But it's an opportunity to bind our heart to God's heart. God's interested in us meeting physical needs. But physical poverty, it's representative of spiritual poverty. Physical poverty is representative of spiritual poverty. Watch what Paul says in verse 13 as we keep moving. He says, By their approval of this service, meaning the Jerusalem church, They're going to receive the funds. They're going to receive the resources. They're going to approve of it. They're going to be happy about it. They're going to be grateful for it. It says, By their approval, they will glorify God, again, spiritual, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you, pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying is that when you meet their physical need, it's going to turn their attention towards why you're doing it. And the reason why you're doing it is because God loves them and you want them to know about God, so they're going to turn their attention to God. So one of the reasons why, the primary reason why we meet physical needs is to put our money where our mouth is so that we can meet a spiritual need. Now, now we don't, in our culture, we don't completely understand spiritual poverty. Now, some people suffer from physical poverty. Everybody suffers from spiritual poverty. Some people suffer from physical po- poverty. Everybody suffers from spiritual poverty. The problem is, it's harder to see and easier to disguise. Your neighbors, your friends, you, we suffer from spiritual poverty. Here's what this means. Just like in physical poverty, there's something I need I can't get because I can't afford it. I don't have the resources to get what I need. Food, shelter, clothing. Spiritual poverty, there's something that I need. I don't have the resources to get it, and it is life. I need spiritual life. I can't get it. I am spiritually bankrupt. I can't reorganize I can't make a deal and negotiate with my creditors. I'm spiritually bankrupt, spiritually impoverished. And so what God did saying, since you can't pay for it, guess what? I got you. And he sent his son Jesus for us. That we elevate the name of Jesus because his name is life. Most important thing we have to offer. And as a church, it is the focus that we are about spiritual life. We want to be about that. And spiritual poverty can look like a lot of things. Matter of fact, Mother Teresa said this about spiritual poverty. She said, The spiritual poverty of the West is greater than ours, meaning where she was in India. You in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. They feel unloved and unwanted. These people are not hungry in the physical sense, but they are in another way. They know they need something more than money, Yet they don't know what it is. What they are missing really is a living relationship with God. That's spiritual poverty. We see it all around us. We see it in hopelessness. We see it in anxiety. And we see it in frustration. Listen, don't think that the conflict we're experiencing politically and culturally is an electoral issue. It's a spiritual issue. We need to vote. Voting is not going to solve our problem voting is not going to solve our problem only a spiritual solution can help a spiritual problem and we're spiritually impoverished that's why levels of anxiety are through the roof even though we have more than any generation history it's why levels of depression are driving a suicidal epidemic in our students we need more than that oh we have the opportunity the good news is that we get to be a part of the solution if we'll just step into it. Now, what I love about Paul and what happens in this situation is who he sends to deliver the gifts. Who, he's, you, know, who, who you send to deliver the gifts says a lot about the gift, doesn't it? Like, like who's entrusted with it? Who's going to bring it? What are they going to say? How are they going to give it? You know, we had a really cool opportunity. It's been several years ago. Where as a church, all of you guys, um, we were able to put together over 200 backpacks for our ministry in Hope for Guatemala. And it was an incredible endeavor. It was the first thing we really did to engage them. And and Hope for Guatemala in Zone 18 in Guatemala is the poorest of the poor. You can't imagine anybody in more poverty. It's impossible. They're at the bottom. And so we put together these backpacks. Now, you know what? We could have sent them down there. We could have just shipped the backpacks and says, Good luck. We could have said, hey, enjoy, just send us your thank you notes. We'll appreciate that. We'll read them out loud in a service. That's not what we do. We went down there to help deliver them. We have an image of it here. Our church sent some people down there. I, I'm in this picture along with a, one of our staff members, Ryan Martin. Gosh, we look young, Ryan. But um, we'd hand delivered it because it says something about the gift who you send to deliver it. You don't, want, you don't know who Paul sent It says he sent a guy named Titus, and here was the description of the other guy he sent. He sent a man who was famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, why would Paul take up a contribution from a number of churches and send it with someone who was famous for preaching the gospel? Why not a shepherd type or an encourager or someone who may could help them understand how to start businesses? Because Paul knew spiritual poverty it's more devastating than physical poverty. Now, physical poverty is devastating. Never would want to minimize that. It robs you of dignity and value and hope. Spiritual poverty robs us of our lives. And Paul knew he needed someone who could take the contributions along with the message of Jesus. This is what we do. When you give to this local church... This is what we're about. When you give to Stone Creek Church, this is what we're about. It should be what any church is about, and there are a lot of them that are about this. But that is why we give, because we believe that giving to the local church is your greatest financial opportunity. We give. It's a, it's a little like this. How many of you have ever made an impulse buy? Anybody? Really, Everybody. Like, haven't you made an impulse buy? You go somewhere like, I'm just going to get that. Now, Now, for some people, it's really small. It's why when you go to the grocery store, they have all the gum and the chips right there, so you'll just grab that. And you'll pick it up. Some, sometimes it's that. For some people, it's a little more. Like you went down to Neiman Marcus or the Avalon. You grabbed a shirt. It's a little more than you really could have afforded. But, you know, you needed it. You deserved it. You were having a bad day. It made you feel good. Now, some of you, some of you went Impulse bought a new car. Let's be honest. And they told you, best deal you're ever going to get. It's going to go away. It's never going to happen again. And you believed it. <laughs> and you, Anybody bought an Impulse car? That's what I thought. Couple, come on. Here we go. Here's the reality. Temporarily, it's satisfying. Listen, we, we like, let's be honest. You go impulse buy, we like it. We enjoy it. But eventually, it fades away. Now, imagine this. Imagine you took whatever impulse buy you had. And back in 1997, you invested it in Amazon. Or back in the 80s, you invested it in Apple. It's worth, oh, I would say a quarter million dollars today. So over that impulse buy, what you have is something that's worth more. It's going to last longer, and it's going to keep on growing. And this is what we experience when we contribute to the gospel. It's worth more. There is nothing more valuable than the gospel. As we see Jesus talk about it, He says it's like this pearl of great price that a man sold everything he had and he bought that one pearl because it was so valuable. He said it's like a treasure hidden in a field that someone uncovered it and they went and sold everything. They sold their cars. They sold their houses. I think they may have sold some of their, maybe their spouse so they could buy that field. Everything. It is worth more. Giving to the gospel is worth everything. It's going to last longer. And when somebody experienced life change, It's for eternity. And when someone is transformed, they're given a hope and a future. They're given God's involvement in their life. And no matter what the world will throw at them, they have the tools necessary. It lasts longer. And it keeps on growing. When someone comes to know Christ, what happens is they begin to be generous. They begin to have impact. They begin to share the message of Jesus. And lives are different. Lives are changed forever. It's your greatest, it's your greatest financial opportunity. Hands down, case closed, bar none. Now, now, why would we do this? I think Paul was very clear in verse 13 when he told us, your confession of the gospel of Christ. Your confession of the gospel of Christ. That's not everybody in here. Hey, but if, you're, if, if you've confessed Jesus, listen, Your greatest opportunity is to give. The overflow of what you've experienced, don't you want that for other people? It's your greatest opportunity. See, my response to the needs of others is determined by who I love the most. My response to the needs of others is determined by who I love the most. And the definition of someone who follows Jesus is that we love Jesus the most. If you don't, then you're not. If you don't, then you're not. We he gives us this opportunity, this dignity to give towards what he's passionate about, to be involved in the mission that he's about. So we want to be that kind of people. We want to be that kind of culture. We want to be a solution to the problems of our day. And this is the the way that we can do it. God has given the mission to the local church. Now, Now, on a practical level, the way we see this play out in people's lives. Is it in the Bible that we're told to give this percentage of our income to just the everyday ongoing operations, to to everything that happens in the local church? We're told to give a certain percentage. Now in the Bible, that percentage starts at 10 and then it goes up from there. So in our budgets, we should all have 10% of whatever comes in, whenever it comes in, we just give it straight to the local church. If it's here, it should be here. If it's another church, it's another church. And then after that, we get this opportunity to be generous. We get this opportunity to go over and above any other obstacles that may be coming up. Now, the way we've historically done that uh, happens around this time of year. Now, now, as you know, this is the time of year for giving. It's when we begin to think about it. We're we're moving into the Christmas season. Now, Now, I know I've aggravated some of you. Because I didn't mention Thanksgiving before Christmas, and you're frustrated. But the reality is they all go together, and this is a time of giving. And one of the ways that we've done this, and one of the ways that we're going to continue to do this, is through what we call the hope offering. The hope offering gives us a chance to maybe take some new ground. It gives us an opportunity to expand our horizons, to take new frontier for the message of the gospel. And so we usually wrap it around several projects. This year, there are three areas that we're going to focus on when it comes to the HOPE offering. The first one is church multiplication. The first area, church multiplication. If we're entrusted with the greatest mission, the greatest message in history, we need to do whatever we can to take it wherever we can. And what what we know is that new expressions of the gospel, new churches, new campuses, new expressions of the gospel, they are more effective at reaching lost people, the spiritually impoverished, than established churches. Established churches still do good. For some reason, new expressions do even better. And so we need to be a church that's about that. It's not something we've been super strong in over the years. That day is over. And today is a new day when it comes to this. We've got opportunities, whether it's globally, we've got opportunities locally, and we're going to find places where we can invest so that the message and the mission of Jesus doesn't just stay on these 53 acres, but that it moves beyond us into people's hearts. So when you give, you're going to be tied to that. Like you may not feel like you can have impact. You may not feel like you, you, you meet enough people to be able to share the gospel. One way that you can partner with seeing hundreds, maybe thousands of people come to know Jesus is by being generous and by being generous to the hope offering. You know, a lot of you, if we were to say, hey, you need to go start a church. We need you to pay for it. You'd be like, I can't, I can't afford that. And you're right. You can't. But together, we can. Church multiplication. Second thing, local development. Second thing is Local development. We have plenty of needs right here in our own community, right here on our own campus. One of our greatest opportunities, obviously, is this place. And it's where God has given us opportunity to be able to change lives. Right now, while, while I'm talking and you're listening, there's someone in the, priest, in the nursery area praying over those kids. Local opportunity. Right now, while we have kids in our preschool their, you, their parents, some of you are able to be in here and to have a break and also to be able to hear something that will change your life. Right now, while I'm talking, our kids are hearing about the message of Jesus. Wednesday night, we'll have hundreds of kids show up here to hear the gospel. This is local development. Everything we do here, from hosting an environment to proclaim the gospel to turning on the lights, matters and it's important. And as we build into the Hope Offering, we'll have more opportunity in our local area. And then lastly, what we're calling the Wonder of Hope. The Wonder of Hope. We want to help restore the wonder of Christmas for people. And I'm so excited about our project this year. As you know, we have done a few projects in an area of town called Clarkston. Now, Clarkston is the most diverse square mile in the country. In the country. And there are people there from every major conflict around the globe. And they've had to come here at the risk of their very lives because they couldn't stay where they were from places like Somalia and Rwanda and beyond. And they've come here and they have no concept of Christmas. Can you imagine showing up in a country like ours, understanding Vehicles, and then understanding why do those vehicles have trees on top of them? I don't understand. And so we want to be able to help them understand what is Christmas about? How can we provide physical needs so that we can talk to them about the gospel? So we're going to have an opportunity to go down, first of all, to give to the Hope offering, but also to give of our time as we go down and we host an event for them in an apartment complex with 3,000 families where we can give them some, meet some of their physical needs, but also we have this ability to tell them about Jesus, many of whom have never heard. They're not from the Bible Belt. And so we want to take this, take opportunity to take advantage of this. And then, of course, our Christmas Eve services is we just want to restore the hope that comes through Jesus, the wonder that it was when he first showed up here. So I just want to encourage you and challenge you over and above what you normally give. Just really begin to consider what you would give to the hope offering. You may not be able to feel like your, you, what you give may not make a difference, but it will. You know, one of the things I've seen in churches, one of the reasons that people don't give is they say this, somebody else has got that. There's a lot of wealthy people in this church. Like somebody else has got that. Speaking from experience they don't we have to do it together this is what God wants for us it's everybody's responsibility and again really clearly for those of you call this place home and you when someone asks you on the street where do you go to church and you say Stone Creek this is the place where you should give it's your greatest financial opportunity if someone, if you're like, well, I don't know if this is my home church or not. If you have been here three times, yes, it is. Today, it's your home church. And so I want to boldly, unapologetically ask you, challenge you to give. Because I believe lives hang in the balance. And this is the call of God on all of our lives. And what a great opportunity we'll have in a few months to celebrate the victories that we're seeing. And you won't be left out. You'll be a part because you'll be a partner with all of us who are going to give this Christmas season. You know, one of the things that helps us to give, the thing that motivates us to give is when our hearts engage with the Lord. You know, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So today, as we kind of move into the Christmas season, as we think about being generous, what we want to do is just to, just to make a statement about this season with our hearts through worship, we just want to elevate the name of Jesus through worship. We know it should be about our heart. And so today we just want to do that together as we enter into this time, this season of generosity, where we get to help people and we get to proclaim the gospel. And so the band is here, and so they're going to lead us, lead us in worship. And I'm going to ask you to, to worship with me. And just as God just changes your heart and helps us to move in to being generous, because that's the kind of people he wants us to be. If you guys would stand, let me pray for us, and we're going to worship as we close. God, we just want to be known as generous. We don't want anyone to not hear the name of Jesus. We don't want anyone to not understand the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the gospel. Lord, we want everyone to understand the wonder of who Jesus is and to experience it. And so, God, as we move into this time of generosity, this next few months, as we talk a lot about gifts and giving and all the benefits that come with that and all the opportunities we have, God, that we would remember our greatest opportunity. It's to give to our local church. And for those of us who go here, that this is the place where we should be bold and generous in giving. And, God, that you would take what we give and just like Paul Uh, taught us today, that you would multiply it. You'd multiply it in the lives of people in our community, in our city, and around the globe. And that God, would we be known as a generous church, that people would see the glory of God in all that we do. And they would give thanks to you, God, because of how good you are to us. And God, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.